abolition, abolition. Upcoming school year will be unlike any other in Florida history. Yeah, several controversial changes approved by the state's education board today will be implemented come the first day of school. News Channel 8's Capitol Bureau reporter Libby Dean has a preview. This meeting kicked off this morning with one of the most controversial agenda items, which has changed the way that African-American history is taught in Florida classrooms. The state said board Wednesday bringing African-American studies back in the spotlight in Florida. Show the amendment approved. Among the dozens of rules greenlit, new standards for teaching African-American history. Our standards are factual, objective standards that really teach the good, the bad, and the ugly. Several Democratic state lawmakers in attendance disagreed into a particular issue with one instructional change that would include, quote, how slaves develop skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. Any kind of standards that indicate that slavery benefited black people is such an insult. Some of the notion that, you know, enslaved people benefited from being enslaved um, is an accurate and a scary standard for us to establish in our educational curriculum. The rule also got pushback from a coalition of black leaders and community groups who sent this letter to the board alleging the standards, quote, purposely omit or rewrite key historical facts about the black experience. You know, the state, uh, through the leadership of Governor DeSantis, has really created a culture in which uh, people are okay with questioning whether or not there's value in black studies. Florida's Ed Commissioner pushed back on the criticism, noting the new standards lengthy approval process. What are they fighting this time? Because this is uh, robust curriculum that had a process. This new rule, alongside several others, will be implemented in classrooms across the state come next school year. That's all from the Capitol. I'm Libby Dean. Eight on your side. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. I'll know them again. We will never, never, never trust. <laughs> them not know what they do. They go to yai while I'm sticking like glue. Blinking green while they're plotting for you.
full disclosure because, you know, a lot of things happen in our lives, you know, many times right here on air. So uh, this past Friday, my father was found unresponsive, and he's currently in ICU uh, in Baltimore. So, you know, I come on the air with a heavy heart. I just ask everyone in the community, you know, to keep my father in their thoughts and their prayers, real thoughts and prayers, uh, send healing energy towards him, and send strength to my family, especially my moms, my aunts, my brothers and sisters. So I just wanted to uh, let everyone know that. So last week we were all black everything. And his name, by the way, is Joseph Matthew Bolden, Jr. That is my father. You know, I am the chip off the old block. Not in everything, though. But last week we were all black everything. We played music about being black. We talked about black issues. We highlighted systemic racism against black lives. We discussed black history, and we did it all unapologetically black. And I even blacked out. Yeah, it was the blackout. And it seems like it was right on time because this week, look at what we have to follow up with that with, Max. We addressed the myths being perpetrated that in any way, shape, or form, that slavery was beneficial to black people, that there was such a creature as a good enslaver, or that slaves were happy and content with their oppressive conditions. That's a shame we even have, we need to explain this in 2023, but who better than us, right, Max? So, as always, we'll share amazing music, poetry, and bring the voices of the abolitionist ancestors back to life for a new generation in our Bridging the Gap segment. So before we jump into tonight's topics, Max, uh, what do you think of the opening track, and how was your week, brother? Um, the week has uh, been pretty uh, busy, as always. And as I said, I'm here in Augusta, Georgia now uh, with some old friends. Uh, just finished doing spoken word out in the park, which was real nice, and hearing some spoken word as well from up-and-coming artists and old friends. As far as the opening track is concerned, I mean, that's just one example of why why we got to do what we got to do today, which is basically address these types of crazy-ass myths and lies that are coming out. And, I mean, they're aiming for the kids. Like, you're trying to teach these kids that somehow slavery helped some of the people who were enslaved. Um, And I'm going to do my best not to use the word slave because there is no such thing as a class of people called slaves. We're talking about people who were enslaved. Um, so I'm going to do my best to speak on it in that way. But, uh, yeah, DeSantis and what he's doing out there is way beyond, uh, you know, signaling, way beyond bullhorns. Uh, he's basically trying to reach into the future now through the minds of our children and warp their understanding of what has happened and what is happening right now. Uh, and then following up that that up with Sister Lauren Hill, forgive them, Father. Like if you go through the lyrics of what she was saying, that was pretty amazing, uh, you know. And it's true; uh, they know not what they do, but we will suffer the results of these types of things. It's like in the past few years, there's been another phenomenon since Trump, where we are now allowing people to say that. Black people can be racist, that you can be racist against anybody. You can be racist against white people. And when you say that black people are the racist, which the president of the United States has done, 
uh, you are effectively now demonizing us even further, you know, because all of a sudden now it's us. We're the racists. We're the bad people. It's the systemic racism from black people uh, happening to white people. And these types of arguments are wrapped in blood because that's what they're going to cost. Yusuf? Yusuf, you might be on mute. Sorry, I was having technical difficulties. <laughs> like the button got stuck on me. Uh, I'm sorry, Max. You have to repeat that. Oh, hell no. I got a little distracted. My mom just got to the hospital, and she was checking in with me. So. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I'm just, we, we can move on to the next thing. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I know you're going through some terrible times right now, and I'll prayers and thoughts are with you, and I hope that people listening uh, feel the same. Uh, you know, we went through this a couple of years ago with my sister when she passed away while I was on air And Uncle here. Joey. And, and Uncle, Uncle Joey. Joey. And Uncle Joey, yeah. Uh, so it can, be, it can be tough when you're committed to doing things, you know? Right. So I was just saying that DeSantis, uh, what he's doing is going directly for the minds of the future, our children and warping their understanding of what it is we went through and what we're going through. And I also compared it to the idea that black people now are the racist. It's not the white people who's racist. It's the black people who are racist now. And we hear that right. so often. And these types that of reverse racism, reverse racism. And these types of things only further uh, cause us to be demonized and hated and loathed. And it ends in blood. The price of this all is blood. Um, so they're covering up the true horrors of the past, but it's going to cost us. And also I was mentioning about Sister Lauren Hill and uh, the song, Forgive Me, Father, Forgive Them, Father, For They Know Not What They Do, uh, because that is the truth. It seems like they do not know what they do. They're just trying to get away with whatever they can get away with, and tomorrow doesn't matter to them. Uh, how these things turn out. And she's an awesome lyricist, so make sure you listen to all the words, look up the lyrics. That was awesome. Yusuf? Yeah, that's off of the uh, the Miseducation of Lauren Hill album, which right. won eight Grammys, I believe it was. I remember seeing Lauren with an arm full of Grammys that night because it was just a tremendous album all the way, and I call this one of the unsung tracks of the album, you know, that – uh. Yeah, I'm glad it was selected, you know, that we got to play it here. Although, I know she says they know not what they do, but they know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. They know what they, they knew what they were doing the entire time. But I get the reference. I get the biblical reference. Uh, but, no, I don't, I don't give them that kind of pass and say, oh, they don't know what they're doing. No, they know exactly what they're doing, and it's intentional. It's deliberate. They but know that they were no happy slaves. Right. You know, they know that because uh, I, I saw uh, you had posted, you know, uh, a quote from Abraham Lincoln, and it said, once I can find it, although volume upon volume is written to prove slavery a very good thing, we never hear of the man who wishes to take the good of it by being a slave himself. <laughs> Yeah, Imagine if it. we were so happy, 
Then people running around miserable, you know? Why weren't they lining up to become slaves? If black people in America have it so good, why are people not lining up to become black? Just like we mentioned last week when Jane Elliott asked, the, asked her, her group that she was speaking to, who would trade? The idea that they're trying to put forth is that at some point, the trades that they acquired, black people acquired, were helpful to them uh, and beneficial to them. And when challenged on this, they provided a list of like 16 names of people who could have uh, benefited from what they uh, learned as an enslaved person. Uh, DeSantis gave the example of blacksmiths. You know, you, you're a blacksmith, a slave, and then you make some money as a blacksmith. And what they found out was almost half the people that they were given as examples weren't ever slaves. And if they were, it was only as a child. <laughs> like one of the people that they put up who would have benefited from the skills learned in slavery was Paul Cuffey, Captain Paul Cuffey. The department referred to Paul Cuffey as a shoemaker and ship owner born into slavery and escaped to freedom in 1781. According to paulcuffey.org, now remember, I'm you know, acting director of the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. So according to right. paulcuffey.org, operated by the Westport Historical Society, Cuffey was born in 1759 to an emancipated and formerly enslaved person. Having worked on whaling boats starting at age 14, he established a shipping business in Massachusetts. So he wasn't even a slave as a child, and that's the example they were giving of how the trade and the skills he acquired through slavery was beneficial to him. And he wasn't the only one. It was, uh, like I said, it's like half of them uh, that either escaped as a child bought as a child by freemen who bought their freedom for them or just weren't slaves at all. So that fell right through the floor. Very embarrassing for the Florida Education Department to provide this type of information that's so fallacious. But what does DeSantis uh, um, say? These are scholars and educators. <laughs> well, whoop the damn do. Apparently, right. you got it wrong, you know, uh, scholars and educators. So, yeah, that's the news that I saw about, like, 16 of them use it. Right, right, and it's and it's spreading because uh, there was even the uh, New York Times article on lawandliberty.org uh, posted an article that said the New York Times resurrects the positive good slavery argument, you know, and it's just so many things that are said within the context of, that talking about how slavery was so good and uh i don't i don't recall where i read it i was going through a lot of the notes for today's uh program and you know uh i think you mentioned it earlier about the person would be worshiping a tree had they been in africa or something of that nature i don't recall the exact context of it one of these black alleged prophetesses uh, in the church, which is basically a prosperity preacher, is up there preaching, and she starts talking about how, thank God for slavery, because if it wasn't for slavery, she'd probably be in Africa uh, eating bananas and worshiping a tree. Like, this is some of the highest form of self-hate you can imagine. 
uh, just think that that's who you where you come from. That's that's what you think you come from. People who was eating bananas and worshiping trees. That's where you think you come from. It was pretty shameful. As a matter of fact, I'll find her name shortly. Yusuf. Right. You know, and then uh, you know this 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 uh, talk about the United States became a great financial power in spite of slavery, not because of it. You know, when yeah, we know. Apostle Kim Daniels. Okay. That's her name, Kim Daniels. I've seen that name somewhere before. Mm. You know, when you talk about all of the years of free labor, and we're talking about some of the largest industries in this country, in the world, when you talk about tobacco, you talk about all types of agriculture, you talk about coal mining, you talk about railroads, all of these things for hundreds of years for free. So how could you say that America became a great financial power in spite of slavery, not because of it? Trying to make it seem as though uh, that that wasn't the root cause of it, especially cotton. We know about King Cotton. I mean, do we have to pull out that track again, Max, to remind you about King Cotton? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot we could talk about this, but what I think we want to do is hit him with another one of these uh, tracks that we made available. Uh, I see we have mm-hmm. some callers that want to join in. Uh, we'll bring you in after the track and uh, get your comments and questions. But let's go ahead and give you an ex- another example of what is being said. I mean, and it's out of pure ignorance. Like, you, you don't know, and you don't want to freaking know at all. But nonetheless, here's alleged <laughs> pastor Mike Keller and he's going to give you the history on slavery and uh, how we got free and that's going to be followed by Kingdom of Niggas with Yahawashi Yaza Chapter yeah, I'm messing up his name you probably can say it better than yeah. I can <laughs> yeah it's Yazakok uh, Yazakok yeah, uh, yeah with chauffeur so far, and Charles Charles. Yeah, right. Exactly. And uh they're gonna hit you with this track. So we'll be right back after this. We're listening to Abolition Today, Abolition Today dot org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Prasad. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. A hundred and fifty years ago or two hundred years ago when the blacks were slaves, did they ever go to Washington DC and have a rally two hundred years ago to protest against slavery? Did they? No. What did they do? Well, a lot of good people in the plantations would say, hey, it's winter time. Let's, let us help build a church for you, dear folks. And they loved them and taught them how to read so they can read the Bible. And here's what the blacks did about 150 years ago. They humbled themselves. They prayed. They sought God's face and they turned from their wicked ways and God made slavery illegal through a several white presidents, right? It worked, didn't it? They didn't protest. And Jesus was a cold brother. And I do mean brother. I just want my Caucasian people to know that. Uh, 
with our kids. Who? Or anybody. And we're going to be the priests. We're going to be the giving the orders of the Most High, the commandments of the Most High, teaching the people. Abolition. 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 Wow. That's what I can say. You just heard Pastor Mike Kelly, uh, Mike Kelly, History on Slavery, followed up by Kingdom of Niggas, by Yawashi, uh, Zach Hawk, with Shofar, Shell Seven. Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parkers and Yusuf Hassan. Max, I got to give you that one first, man, because I'm sitting here, I'm trying to go through the lyrics because there was a lot being said in that track and then you know that pastor man like what oh that's my all God. i said i was like what what are you talking about man nobody protested did that's... the negroes go to bc to protest <laughs> like, oh what my God. About? that's what i would have been saying if i was sitting in in his congregation and he was saying that he, like, he was what are you talking about before? Yeah, he came as a visiting priest. Oh, he was, a, he was a guest. <laughs> yeah. And and the, the, the church in Texas, after about a week, they had to issue a statement and an apology. Like, we're not down with him. We don't know what the hell he was talking about. We don't agree with that, blah, 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 blah. But it took him a minute right. to do that, and they brought him in from the very beginning. And uh, from what I understand, he is the father of a reality star who was on a program, I think it's like called like the Dugans or something like that, where they had 19 uh-huh. kids and it was on television. And then uh, a couple of years ago, they found out that the the husband, I guess it's his son, um, was uh-huh. molesting the children and now he's in prison. So it went from them being on TV with all these kids to the husband molesting the children to the father up in the church now talking about how black people did not go to protest slavery. Instead, they got down on their knees and said, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, white Jesus, for helping us to be where we at now. And um, that allowed them to be free. <laughs> wow. Like, where did you get your history from? Uh, like, you know, a cereal box? <laughs> Is that where you're getting your history from? Somewhere. <laughs> But you I mean, I'm, 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 yeah, people twist history, but that's a that's next level twisting history. Right, right. You know, uh, we had things like slave badges, where you couldn't go from one place to the other unless you had this badge and a writ from your master right. who would allow you that's to right. go somewhere. Even consider that black people at this point, even free black people, could somehow go and do a January 6th in Washington, D.C. is just outrageous. It's just crazy, uh, you know, to even say, and, and to do it in somebody else's church and then say it's all about, you know, this is God's word that you're preaching. God's word, right. that, that's, a, that, that's not the God I know. <laughs> that's a different kind of God. That God coming out the other side of his body. Man, listen. <laughs> Oh, my my mom just texted me. She wanted she wanted uh everyone to know that she has she has my father listening to the show. He's not conscious, but you know, but uh he's in there, so he's tuned in, and I know oh. he would be he would have a lot to say about this topic. Uh, you know? Joseph, so, all over Pop, I need you to I need you to wake up and talk to us today, because I know you would have a lot to say. Amen, uh, brother Joseph would uh has something to say for sure. So, yeah, that's 
it's just nuts, man. And this is what you're saying in public. Uh, these are the scholars and educators that you were referencing, you know, people like this who are supposed to be bright and intelligent. Um, I see we had a caller up, but we we lost him. Oh, there you are. You want to bring in a caller? Oh, my goodness. If you want to do this to yourself, Max. Oh, come on. I ain't never scared. <laughs> All right. So bring him four, in, then. Bring him five, in. Four, nine, five, three. You, you know, uh, in Max here on Abolition Today. Yeah, you talk about DeSantis. What DeSantis said was actually true. <clears throat> you had some people that would see. Let me tell you, in Ghana, there's these five different kinds of, of slavery, and the word yeah. is uh, there's at least five different styles of slavery. Where at? And my wife, my yeah, wife, we're family. We're not talking about Ghana. My wife. Do, be, my, before well, you get into it, you do begins. realize we're not talking about Ghana, this is right? Where it be, this is where it begins. I understand you're not talking about Ghana, but this, this is where it begins. We're not talking about slavery. We're talking about chattel slavery, something that was unique in history. They had chattel slavery in Ghana also. You were born into slavery, in case you didn't know. But what DeSantis said was right. If you check Dunn of Dunn and Bradstreet, they list a whole list of black businesses that they insured. And I give you one. One was C.R. Patterson, which was a car manufacturer out of Greenfield, Ohio. He began as a slave working with a blacksmith. Then they began, after a while, he bought into it. He formed a company. Then he began to manufacture automobiles. Not automobiles as we say, but things like the they call the Lindsay before Ford did. And there's another. Look at the Shinke of the Amazon. When he left here and went back to Sierra Leone, he started slavery. So what happened said is correct. Anyway, I got to get on to something else. You guys took up, you know, it's your show. You run it like you want to. I didn't call here to argument. I just called it answer. Thank you very much. Of course you called it to argue because you knew you were going to come spit some BS, and that's why you ran. He hung up, Max. Hung up, but please clarify that because you know people are going to be listening to the archives and they're going to hear what he said and he's, they're going to be looking for an answer from us. You know, uh, he's given this information first of all, he's missing the point entirely. Um, right, if you have enslaved people, everything after that is bad. You can't say, you know, I had a daughter while I was enslaved and that was a good beneficial thing. You know what I mean? Uh, well, you could say, um, I survived the flu, and that was a good beneficial thing while I was slavery. But that's not true at all. There's nothing good that you could point at that comes out that we just enslaved you part. We own you as right. human property. Nothing is good after that. These are people right. who are finding joy or opportunities in the midst of crimes against humanity. And we're pretty good at that. We can dance, we can uh, laugh, we can find joy in the worst of conditions. We've always been able to do that. We even take some of the things that you throw away that has been thrown, like uh, the food that we brought up, our soul food, was because we didn't have access to the stuff that everybody else was eating. We was eating the things that they were throwing away. Where do you think the term dirty rice comes from, right? (laughs) You know? Right. But 
You can, right. say that you can say this is beneficial, but all of this is a result of the conditions that they're in, which was being enslaved as property. So to say that I'm going to enslave you and some of the things you're going to get while in slavery is going to be beneficial is asinine. <laughs> and then there's always the bringing up of the, you know, mm-hmm. the one or the few who are the exceptions, you know, like how we talk about Oprah. People love bringing up Oprah as if that's the norm of someone coming out of the effects of being enslaved, having a family with a history of enslavement. So they grow up, they become Oprah. And so because of that, uh, everything else was just okay because look how she turned out. Um, I'm going to say one thing that I do not understand, and then I want to give a little history of this whole narrative of slavery is good and we had happy slaves. What I don't mm-hmm. understand is why it is black conservatives seem to eat the whole damn cake. Like, you can't go in and say, okay, these are things that I I feel like as a conservative I can support, but this type of rhetoric is just ridiculous. You got to eat the whole thing. It's got to be hook, line, and sinker. Before you know it, you're voting for Trump, and you're talking about how DeSantis was right. I don't get that. Like, how can you be against your own people and defend those who are trying to murder you? I, I just don't get that. So, you know, I'm neither a liberal nor am I a, a, a Republican. Uh, I, I agree with um one side some things, I agree with the other side on some things, but you are not going to get right. sucked up into your whole vortex. It's not going to happen. My mind is more powerful than that. I'm more of a critical thinker than that. You know, in order for me to be right. associated, I've got to be this far into it. I've got to be a Candace Owens style, you know, where all I do is attack black people and talk about how bad black people are and then get up in the morning and see a black face and be happy. I don't get that. That blows my mind. But this whole slavery is good narrative is not new. It's been uh, out there forever. There's a book we pulled out and put in our archive called Slavery is Good by E.W. Warren. And this was uh, written, uh, I believe it was written during the uh, Reconstruction era. And it says, overview, slavery is good is a religious justification for slavery written in the midst of the Civil War. So it was written in the midst of the Civil War by Reverend Reverend E.W. Warren, a Southern minister. Although the biblical arguments Warren puts forward to justify the enslavement of men, women, and children might seem absurd now, the points he made were widely accepted in all the slave states. And this was in the midst of the Civil War. You got this minister writing a book about how slavery is good and how it was justifiable. All the way up until the 1970s in Virginia, they were teaching the same type of thing to students there. Uh, Here's some excerpts from some of the books, the school books for seventh grade in Virginia that were being used. It says, life among the Negroes in Virginia in slavery times was generally happy, period. The Negroes went about in cheerful manner, making a living for themselves and for those whom they worked. 
they were not so unhappy as some northerners would have you believe. And then further on, it goes to say that they had worked hard in Africa, and so the work of the Virginia plantation did not hurt them. Just unpack that for a minute. They worked hard in Africa, and so the work on the Virginia plantation did not hurt them. That's reminiscent of the black people can take more pain than other people. They, they, right. you know, it don't hurt them. Right. They work harder than other people. You know, it don't hurt them. You can push them further physically and mentally. It don't hurt them. They're superhumans, you know? And then even further, it went, the Negroes learn also to enjoy the work and play of the plantations. They became adjusted to their new homes. That was teaching us the seventh graders all the way up until 1970 in Virginia. You know what's crazy, Max? Uh, I've never heard anyone say the Holocaust was good and that they were happy in those camps or that anybody was happy along the Trail of Tears. I mean, it's called the Trail of Tears. You never hear anyone talking about it as the people were happy about it. It's only us. And, you know, the here, you know, I I really wish he would have stuck around because I probably would have given him the business. But, you know, more more, uh, under control because it's usually someone that looks like me that's trying to carry that narrative that of banging the drum of being the spokesperson for this narrative that somehow we were happy about it. If you listen to the songs that were being sung on the plantation, they don't sound like they were happy. Or you hear the old uh, Negro spirituals. They weren't happy songs. So I don't even understand well, I guess when you just mentioned this book, maybe that is one of the root causes of where it started. If this was going on during the Civil War, that this preacher was going around preaching this, yes. then that could be the root of where it started, that people were happy or you're in a better condition of being here. As Frederick Douglass taught us, that was the general idea that was being preached by the South to Northerners, and Northerners would happily take that back to the North, say, oh, these Negroes are so happy, they're doing better than white people right now who are uh, working in the industries, you know, they're, they're doing better than them. It was ridiculous, and remember, Frederick said that that was all a lie. It was all made up, right? Right, right. Let me read some more from this Virginia book, right, so you understand what was being taught, and now it's going back to being taught again. Uh, In regards to slaves, they said, a feeling of strong affection existed between masters and slaves in a majority of Virginia homes. I I, I guess that's what you call it when you break people mentally and physically Mm -hmm. until they, Mm -hmm. the only thing they know is to obey you, all right? It says, the house servants became almost as much a part of the planter's family circle as its white members. The Negroes were always present at family weddings. They were allowed to look on at dances and other entertainments. A strong tie existed between slave and master because each was dependent on the other. The slave system demanded that the master care for the slave in childhood, in sickness, and in old age. 
they, the regard that master and slave had for each other made plantation life happy and prosperous. Life among the Negroes of Virginia in slavery times were generally happy. The Negroes went about in a cheerful manner, making a living for themselves and for those for whom they worked. But they were not worried by the furious arguments going on between Northerners and Southerners over what should be done with them. In fact, they paid a little attention to these arguments. Oh, my God, man. Like, what are you talking Dang. about? Ah. And this is what we were teaching children who grew up believing this. And now they're out right. here in uh, Vestibules preaching about how nobody went down there and protested. The Negro didn't protest in Washington. <laughs> you see? That, 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 that's crazy to even think about that. And as you were reading that, I started thinking of uh, something Carter G. Woodson said one time. And I, you know, I tried to do a quick search for the quote, but I can't find it. So I'll speak on it, you know, verb, uh, not verbatim, but, you know, just uh, the spirit of what he was saying about how, you know, if you train a person a certain way, then you could have them doing things on their own that is, that's against them, sort of like uh, – going in the back door, and then if there's no back door, they'll create a back door for themselves to go through, you know. So part of the education system, if we look back to what was going on, how people weren't allowed to read, they weren't, you know, they weren't allowed to read, they weren't allowed to have books. We look at the education system, especially in inner city schools, of how many of them are decades behind in the materials. You know, I recall when the first half of the ninth grade, I went to a school that was in Baltimore City compared to, you know, I was going to schools in Baltimore County, which was, you know, more white at that time, more pr predominantly white. And I remember that I was being taught in ninth grade. I had already learned in the third grade. So it had me that far behind. And so when you have people giving them substandard education, you can slip stuff like this in here, and sometimes it goes unnoticed. You know, and that's kind of like the spirit of the quote of what Carter G. Woodson was saying. And I'm going to keep trying to find it because it'll make more sense when I can come across it, you know. But that's the effects of that bad education, Max. And you said how long they were doing this? Up until 1970? So 1970, that book was in use in Virginia schools. So if I were a student in Virginia, I would have grown up reading that as history and being led to believe that that's, that's what it was. That was our history. That we was happy slaves. Um, we was best friends with the masters. Um, we had this huge connection like dog and master have, but now it's enslaved person and master. You know, we were just so affectionate and adoring. But we forgot the part about breaking, where you broke these people mentally and physically, whipped them, raped them, abused them, starved them, uh, worked them till they bled. All these things happened so you could break somebody. And when you break yeah. a human being yeah. like you broke a damn horse, what do you think they're going to act like? 
Because if they don't act like that, it goes back to what they were just had just experienced. Exactly. And I found the quote, and ironically, it comes from his book, The Miseducation of the Negro, going back to where Lauren Hill named her album The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. He says, if you can control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. When you determine what a man shall think, you do not have to concern yourself about what he will do. If you make a man feel that he is inferior, you do not have to compel him to accept an inferior status, for he will seek it himself. If you make a man think that he is justly an outcast, you do not have to order him to the back door. He will go without being told, and if there's no back door, his very nature will demand one. We've been subject to oppression for 400 years, and a lot of us are broken. What did Frederick say? It is easier to raise strong children than to repair broken men. Um, and and I, I see the truth behind that. Like, you, right. lost. You're freaking lost. You call up here t- justifying slavery on abolition today. You are lost. <laughs> you know? Like, you, you need a doctor, a psychologist, uh, or something. Yeah. You've gone that deep into this now? Like, you know, you can't even See, see, what really frustrates me about that is because the argument is so weak. The argument is so weak. Like, we want to talk about Ghana? Ghana? Right. Not the U.S., not what's still going on in the U.S. to this very day. We can talk about Ghana, but let's talk about the right way. Ghana apologized right. for the participation in slavery. Ghana yeah, is dealing with mass incarceration on a level that's beyond the United States right now, with their prisons are filled to literally overflowing with like right. 40, 50 people in cells that were set up for six people. They're dealing with this, these atrocities. We could talk about Ghana, but why are we talking about Ghana under these circumstances when we're just speaking about the laws? being applied in America to change the perspective of children on a crime against humanity called slavery. And I'm going to tell you something that's that has blown that's my mind. That's how red herrings work. Right. That's how those red, red herrings work. Here's what blows my mind. They do not believe and have said it very clearly that systemic racism exists, right, in the current tense right, right now. But I'm coming to understand they don't believe slavery or racism, systemic or otherwise, existed during the antebellum period when they owned people. They don't think that was racist either. Because how can you when you're worshiping George Washington who owned slaves? And you're like, well, that was a different time. It was different. No. A crime is a crime is a crime. If you're enslaving people then or you're enslaving people now, it's still a crime against humanity. And in order to justify right. that, they have to somehow exalt this to a good person or a great person who had some flaws, <laughs> you know, some flaws. Well, right. What was the flaws? Well, I, I had I owned people. I was whipping people. And uh, what was the sister that ran away from him uh, that he put out an ad for her, a, a reward for her to return? Oh, the judge. <laughs> oh, the judge. You know what I mean? Oh, the judge. Yeah. Like, hell no, I'm not coming back. Oh, the judge. <laughs> 
Well, like what? Go where? See, certain people have this idea that they believe um, in equal rights. They believe that mm-hmm. um, press should have the right to vote. That should be given back to them. The oppressed should be free. Uh, they believe that the oppressed people of this country uh, should have the same rights as everybody else, right? But here's the problem. Mm-hmm. We were born with that. <laughs> we were born free. You can't give us nothing. You can take it away. You can steal it. If you got the police on your side and you got the courts on your side, you can deny us all those things. But we were born with them right. just like you. And the whole idea that you can give somebody freedom is that uh, white supremacist idea that you somehow own it to begin with. And, you know, with that being said, let's hit this next track, which goes directly into that. Uh, back in, I think the uh, it was the 30s or 40s, I may be incorrect, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of John Henry Fox who uh, was a uh, journalist and writing a book, and he happened to record some formerly enslaved people and their opinions. And I think it would be a good idea for you to hear from him himself about what created an epiphany in his mind. And we're going to follow that up with some James Brown. I don't want nobody to give me nothing. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. But John Henry Falk may have experienced the most profound effect. He was a graduate student when he interviewed the former slaves, including the two women you hear in this broadcast. Himself interviewed just before he died in 1979, Falk was going on about how he believed in giving blacks the right to go to school, giving them the right to vote, giving them the right to go into anything they qualified for. And then he said, he experienced an epiphany. Yeah, sitting out on a wagon tongue with this old black man and was telling him what a different kind of white man I was. I remember him looking at me very sadly and kind of sweetly and condescending and said, you know, you still got the disease, honey. I know you think you're cured, but you're not cured. You can't give me the right to be a human being. I'm born with that right. Now, you can keep me from having that. If you've got all the policemen and all the jobs on your side, you can deprive me of it. But you can't give it to me. Because I was born with it just like you was. My God, it had a profound effect on me. I was furious with him. But the more I reflected on it, the more profoundly it affected me. And I realized this was where it really was. Tomorrow, give me scoops. 
Abolition. 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 And you just heard John Henry Falk having an epiphany. And you heard the appropriate response from James Brown. And that's shout out to you, to my pops, because he's a huge James Brown fan. I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Just open up the door. I can get it for myself. That's it. That's the problem. And they keep the door closed. And you that's know, the was, argument all the time. I'm sorry, Max. I just wanted to get this out real go, quick. Go, go, Hold go, that go. thought. But they're always saying, we gave you everything, and you still complain. <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's like we would have gotten a lot more if you would have just opened up the door and get the hell out of our way. Because, it, I mean, isn't that what uh, – Frederick Douglass said, if you see me walking down the street minding my business, leave me alone. Let me go. We don't need anybody to give us anything. We can get it for ourselves. Just don't block the path. Pass it off to you, Max. I'm sorry about that. I had to get a little oh, quick okay. rant in. That's it. It's, a, it's all right. Um, you are the co-host, so do what you got to do. Um, I was going to say, I was thinking that this whole narrative that somehow – skills that were gained during slavery were beneficial to us and it made things better because we you know we benefited from slavery because we learned we, how to we were already things. farmers we were already right. farmers they didn't teach us agriculture we taught the world agriculture would you say that same thing that same exact thing about the children being uh trafficked like in the film uh, what is it? Uh, free, uh, Sounds of Freedom, I think it's called, right? Yeah. That they got out mm-hmm. now. You say the same thing about those children. Like, you know, little Mary learned how to do makeup, and that was beneficial to her because she became a makeup artist when she was 30. But she was raped from 7 to 15. But by the time she was 30, right. she was able to make, do become a makeup artist because of what she learned while she was being trafficked. I mean, would you say that to them? Would you say, you know, little Billy while he was being trafficked, had to cook and clean for himself. So by the time he escaped from the rape and the abuse and became an adult, he opened up a restaurant. And it's all thanks to what he learned while he was being trafficked. That's how you sound. <laughs> well, Tribal, yep. that's how you sound. sound. You know, like you said, they wouldn't say that about the Holocaust. You know, uh, you learned how to live off of... Uh, toenails while you was in a concentration camp and somehow you right. that was beneficial to you. You know what I mean? But they they don't it, it's it's they wouldn't care. The JDL would jump down on them or jump down their throats for that. But they yeah. know they can get away with it with saying it to us because we don't control the media. We don't control the positions of power. And therefore, anything that we say back, you know, they can just bombard us. And then when we get into spaces like this, they have their little people who come in and want to spread that same nonsense. Yeah, and and I think that they're being smart. They think somehow or another they are so much more superior. DeSantis is right, you know. 
when you learned all these techniques and things like that, that was beneficial to us. So we wouldn't survive that way. And it sounds like the woman that we had, we was talking about, who is a, a calls herself an apostle and saying, thank God for slavery. Without slavery, I'd be in Africa somewhere hugging a tree. Like Africa's some huge jungle and everybody's running around in freaking uh, skirts and whatnot and, and no tops would be bones in their noses. That's the only thing you think of when you when you say Africa, right. apparently. You know, like it's not one of the most magnificent cities in Africa uh, exists. Like these beautiful places and these beautiful nations where they have, some of them have better economic advantages, advantages than we do here. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Like people, are, their minds are gone. Their spirits have been filled by a spirit of someone else. They're not even thinking for themselves anymore. They are just repeating what someone told them. And then they go with this confirmation bias and try to prove themselves right based on the lies that they've been told. It's, a, it's, it's full indoctrination. Listen. My family yeah. was enslaved. Just like you. My family was a part of the diasporas and also a part of the uh, genocide of natives. I come from both areas. Um, mm. And we had times where we had love and we had warmth and we had joy and we had happiness. But that does not mean that it was the result of the genocide or the slavery. We're human beings, and we'll find that in any condition. I'm sure right. even the uh, even in the concentration camps, there was things that someone found to smile about. But that does not mean that they were not suffering the worst conditions you can imagine. You know, just the look of the face of your your, your siblings or something like that could cause you to smile. And yes, right, we were a very happy people, but not happy because you enslaved us. <laughs> right. That's because we had loved ones around us who you could snatch up and sell on the auction block at your whim, which is what they would they did. Yusuf? Right. Or rape. Or rape. Or rape yeah. at will. If anything. Let's let's see what Clarence out of San Antonio has to say. Hello? Can you hear me? Clarence, you're on the air with Max and Yusuf. Welcome to Abolition hey. today, brother. Great show, great show, y'all. Thank you, bro. Hey, uh, uh, we're in the time where information is increasing. The last are now first, but we don't believe it. Psalm 82.6 says that we are gods, and Christianity, with all of its faults, is really promoting Satan. If there was no Christianity, there would be no Satan. If we were in Africa, there is no concept of Satan. So I think uh, we need a total shift of our thinking to get out of this. Well, I don't know if they wouldn't have a Satan, but there are gods of destruction uh, in all kinds of different religions. You know, nobody has the utopia God where you never had any opposition. 
Um, there are always these gods of destruction and opposition trying to be, bring human beings down. Spirit like, set. Set and Heru, yeah. The yeah. light and the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Set. So That's right. Set. Christianity or commit or whatever, you're going to have these ideologies that are always battling on a universal level. And we as human beings are expected to pick one and to be on the right side. But the, 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 lie, the lie is that Satan goes on forever. Set only ruled for 12,000 years, and then her rule was for 12,000 years. Only so 12,000 years. <laughs> I, I didn't expect those two things to go together, only in 12,000 years. <laughs> That's it's only a couple of weeks, right? When Set is ruling, it doesn't mean that, that Haru is not battling, because the sun rises every morning. Yes. Mm. Well, thank you for that. I see we, uh, Corinne has her hand up, too. All right. Thank, thank you for the call, Clarence. Thanks, Clarence. All right, thank you. Appreciate your support always, brother. What's up, Corinne? Hi, guys. Great show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to comment on what Max said because I really about the seven-year-old girl, how, you know, we see this, but, you know, she was this kind of tragedy. And I think about, you know, they do that a lot, especially for people, um, African-Americans that come from areas where there's not a lot of black people and they don't have diverse examples of established black people. It's like, for me, they get that a lot. Like, oh, you should be great. Like, uh, you know, I'm looked at as the good slave technically because I guess I'm proper. But they don't realize that all know are proper. And what is your definition of proper? And I think sometimes a reflection, these conversation make going on realize what they're doing that they're suffering that they've made you suffer through because they gave my man scholarship to the Harvard Kennedy School of, from Vermont but I for college you know stuff your mic is breaking up a lot we're hearing every other word Maybe try a different position. Yeah, you're breaking up real bad, man. We hear one. Using headphones, maybe just try the phone itself. Nope, her call dropped. All right. She's probably in a bad area. Yeah. Uh, Well, she's out in Vermont, you know. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say the backwoods of Vermont, but I mean, you know. The whole state is rural. Yes. Uh, I, I do want to give some good news. Mm-hmm. Rochelle McGee has won his yes. release after 67 yes. years in shackles. You know, we yes. talked before about people in solitary confinement, and he's one of those people who has spent more time than anyone on earth in solitary confinement. Uh, for right. most of his 83 years, Rochelle Senke McGee was, uh, has been struggling under brutal oppression. As a victim of the Jim Crow U.S. South, he was imprisoned under racist, aggravated attempted rape charges 
of an older white woman when he was only 16, the same year that Emmett Till was lynched for allegedly whistling at a white woman. As a result, he toiled in slave-like conditions in the plantation-turned-prison dubbed Angola, the Louisiana State Penitentiary, for eight years. Upon release, he was disinherited from his property and moved to Los Angeles, where he would enjoy six months of freedom before being once again arrested over a dispute over USD 10 uh, ounce of marijuana. He would remain in prison until this day. 67 years. Yeah, and it's, it's so much huge story. I didn't even know about the uh, Angola portion. But you see, he was disinherited from his property. We know we talk about this all the time with the Ruffin versus Commonwealth, that once a person goes to prison, that they become a slave of the state and their property becomes, it, it, it's, it's distributed as if he was a dead person. So he specifically uh, was subjected to that. And then there's the whole history behind George Jackson, Jonathan Jackson. Like, that's, that's what put him in the history books, that incident at the Marin County Courthouse. Uh, look him up. I mean, this is somebody that you really want to study up on when you want to see, when they want to do a case study about the American criminal justice system. Rochelle is spelled R-U-C-H-E-L-L. And his last name is McGee, M-A-G-E-E. Look him up. It's, it's, it's a lot of history behind this brother. So this is huge for him to be coming home. I mean, he spent almost 70 years in prison. He's only 83 years old, and he spent almost 70 years of it in prison. I'm glad he's out, man. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Welcome home, brother. Because, you know, remember when we got to meet with uh, Albert Woodfox, you know, with yeah. the Angola Three, and just how many he spent what was about 46 years in solitary, you know, just and having those conversations with him when we were in D.C. You, you can't fathom what it's like spending that much time in solitary confinement, being, a, being arrested, period, but then on top of it, as, as people in jail say, you in you in jail in jail. You know when you when you're in solitary confinement, locked away, you know, and you're treated even more subhuman than you would get treated in population. And to see that the brother has survived it, you know. So as we would say, welcome to freedom, brother. Welcome to freedom. Welcome to freedom. Uh, or at least as much of it as he's going to get um, because, you know, right. we've got a lot of brothers out there that have gotten out and still can't exercise their rights, still can't vote. Right. Uh, I was talking to someone recently about one brother that's an activist. He's got a Ph.D. He's working on a second doctorate, and he still can't vote. <laughs> he still can't vote, <laughs> you know? That's like, crazy. Yeah. That uh, is crazy. Should we be thanking somebody for these beneficial aspects of slavery? <laughs> you know, that we can't vote because of these civil debts that have been put on us? Right. I see we got somebody else wants to chime in. Uh, what do you want to do? You know, we had him on already. That was that was uh, uh, Clarence. Okay. That was Clarence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, okay. Just oh. left his, he left his hand up. 
While I'm thinking about it, I see Sean is on the air. Happy birthday to little Sean Darling. Today yeah, is Sean's uh, son's birthday. I can't recall his name right now, so I'm just call him little Sean. But happy birthday to the little soldier. Little Darling. For those who don't recall, yeah. Sean is uh, the lead organizer up in Maine for, what is it, Abolish Slavery Maine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, happy birthday, little guy. I think he's about, what, nine or ten years old now? About that, it sounds like. Okay, let's see what uh, Tony Crane is up to. Hello, hello. Tony, you on peace, the air, brother? Yes, yes, hey, peace. How's it going? Can you guys hear me? Yes. yes. Welcome back to Abolition Today, brother. Thank you, thank you. I was, I was, I kept on hitting the star and the pound. I forgot it was <laughs> number one. Um, <clears throat> but um, uh, this is a great um show as always, and I'm glad you guys are touching on this issue in particular because it seems like people don't do the research to not be able to be convinced of such such madness. You know, what I mean, to, to 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 even consider the fact that I mean to consider the erroneous possibility that slaves could have benefited in any type of way, shape, or form is absolutely it's it's abhorrent. You know, you know what I mean. I can't even find the words half the time to even right. explain how I feel about that. It's it's unbelievable. Right. And I, sorry, go ahead. No, man, we we get you. We understand. Let, let me tell you, if you had to told me 10 years ago that I would hear dozens and dozens of people stand up in Congress and Senate and advocate for keeping slavery legal or keeping involuntary slavery legal, I would have been like, you're crazy, dude. That's, that's not going to happen. And I, nope. I didn't see it with my own eyes. <laughs> Heard it with my own ears, you know? Like we're dealing with some really lost people these days. Indeed, and I see like yeah, it's like I can't, I you know, with the help of mentors and people like you and Yusuf and various other women and men that have helped me gain knowledge of self in my life. But without that, I was believing the madness. You know what I mean? So it's it's dangerous if we don't step in and and, and teach our children and our peers and stuff, the truth, because they'll believe this stuff. You know what I mean? And it'll just fly. Yeah, they just accept it. That's true. My teacher taught me, and that's what I understand. And they don't, they're not being taught to think critically enough about this, to question things. And when they do question them, they're punished. A friend of mine said that her son challenged their history teacher when he was talking about how slavery ended in 1865. And she's a listener of Abolition Today. And, you know, some listen sometimes, too. And he's like, no, slavery did not end in 1865. It is still going on right now through the 13th Amendment. And this teacher had never even read that, apparently. So instead of accepting that you just showed me some new information that is provable, I can look this up and see it with my own eyes, instead of doing that, they punished the child. Mm-hmm. That's why. I, that's why I took my son out of. That's why I took my son out of public school. Seriously, I just. Yeah. 
And I know a lot of people can't afford to do that, but it's it's something that a lot of us need to really consider. Like last week when we were talking about how my black friend can somehow uh, cause the voices of millions of people and thousands of scholars and so much information to suddenly be wrong because you have one my black friend or you can show an example like you said earlier of Oprah Winfrey or somebody who has succeeded somehow negates all of those voices. And it's such a sad thing to see a person who is of African descent come out and say something. And I saw this yesterday on a video where this woman came on and what did she want to say? Well, here's what she wanted to say, that the first person to own a slave was a black man in America, which is a lie. It's not true at all. It's misinformation. Apparently, she heard it, so it must be true. So she's repeating it like a parrot. And then she went on to say the same old white supremacy talking points about how Africans uh, were complicit and they were the ones who were selling slaves. So these are the persons who were the real enslavers with Africans. And then he went on to say, she went on to tell us about how black people in America owned other black people. There was a lot of plantation owners who was black uh, that owned other black people. Never once even considering for the moment that during these antebellum period, uh, black, free black people would often buy entire families. And they technically owned them, you know what I mean? But it was then how they got them to freedom. It was how they got them away right. from the enslavers. They bought their wife, they bought their kids, you know, because they had to buy everybody or pay for their freedom outright. And that's not exactly. even a part of their understanding. So if they see that, you know, Joe Brown owned three slaves and Joe Brown was black, at no point did it ever, they ever consider that might be his son, his daughter, and his wife. <laughs> you know? That's, that's right. such an old, it's, it, it's such an old, um, what is it? Um, it's such an old excuse, and it's 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 so old. I remember getting into arguments with cabbies in Newark, Ohio. As soon as you as soon as you mention slavery, it's the first logical fallacy they pull up. The first one they try and say, and it's wrong. I'm like, what are you talking about, dog? But anyway, you know, yes, I got a, I got a clip of one of these people actually doing it. Uh, <laughs> Candace Owens. Perfect and, segue. Yeah, perfect segue, Tony. Exactly. Great job, brother. <laughs> and there's a clapback clap back of some reality from J. William J. Uh, on uh, TikTok. Uh, it's right, brother. So let's go ahead and listen to this example, and then we'll do some more talking when we get back on the other side. That's cool, Tony? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, All right. We got J. William J. response to Candace Owens pro-white slavery history, and that's going to be mixed with DJ Shadow's Nobody Speak featuring Run the Jewels. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. As always, we'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Slavery was not invented by white people. It did not. My purpose here is to simply tell the truth. Oh, are you now? My bad. I'll get to thanking y'all and apologizing in a little bit. So I'm making a video about it. You know what time it is. And seeing as the six distinct people I'm responding to right now combined for a total of zero hours of research, I'm about to eat their all y'all shit at the same time. Slavery was not invented by white people. And we already got a fucking miss. Candace spends a minute 39 seconds talking about this very point and later on in the video goes on to say, No one, regardless of skin color, 
stands guiltless. Yet today we are never told to consider the murderous Persian Empire or the cannibalism of indigenous tribes. We're told that slavery is a white phenomenon. But considering it's a given that everyone I'm talking to probably doesn't know how history or language works, let me explain something to you real quick. When talking about slavery in the context of American politics, which is the main fucking thing PragerU deals with, no one has made the claim that slavery never existed before the tyrannical white people started it in America. But they acted so that the claim so that conservatives have something easier to attack while tacitly justifying slavery. Because if we lived in the same house and you stole $500 from me, and I said, hey, you stole $500 from me, that's the big reason why you now have more money than I do. And then you said, hmm, theft existed back in the biblical times. Theft existed before Christopher Columbus. And you were never told it, but you didn't say any of that theft. You don't have a problem with that theft. Any reasonable person would look at you like a fucking moron because the conversation about what happened in the Ottoman Empire does not pertain to the black-white relations in the United States. When the intrepid explorer landed in the Bahamas, the native Taino tribe hoped that he would help them defeat their aggressive neighbors, the Caribs. The Caribs enslaved the Taino and, on occasion, served them for dinner. Whoa. Assuming there was any fucking research done, you couldn't have missed this. But then again, there fucking wasn't. But in true prayer fashion, while we tacitly justify slavery, let's also tacitly justify genocide. Keep that word in your mind, by the way. The word slave actually comes from the Slavs of Eastern Europe. Millions of them, all white by the way, were captured and enslaved by Muslims in the 9th century. This is the reason why, because I've never understood this shitty argument. Like people are complaining about slavery, but the word slave actually came from Slavs, which were white people. So you know, Bullbucko and the word genocide was developed during World War II. And the person who created the word used the genocide that the Ottoman Empire committed against Armenians to develop the definition of the word. Jewish and Native American people complain about genocide, but the original term was derived from the Armenians. So therefore, for fucking nothing because where a word originated from does nothing to change the fact that that's an institution that black people had to suffer through in the United States, thus putting them in shitty positions for the rest of history. Oh, and the United States government did much more than just slavery to black people, so either way, it's still fucking stupid. White people were the first to formally put an end to slavery. In 1833, Britain was the first country in the history of the world to pass a slavery abolition act. They were quickly followed by France. Then, of course, came the 13th Amendment in the United States Constitution. White men led the world in putting an end to the abhorrent practice. No, they didn't. Many countries abolished slave trade at different times, but Haiti was the first nation in the entire world to officially abolish slavery. Those are not white men. That was in 1804. That came Chile. Not white men. Then Central America, which at the time consisted of Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica. Not white men. Then Uruguay. Then Bolivia. Then Greece. Then Mexico. Not white men. Then slavery ended in the United Kingdom. Then Tunisia. Then France. Then Argentina, Peru, Venezuela. Look, the Dred Scott decision. Then the United States. I wasn't aware that the truth included the part where you're fucking lying. No, the fuck you're not. This is propaganda. Abolition. Abolition. Wow. So you just heard J. William J. on TikTok responding to Candace Owens, her pro-white slavery history argument. And that was accompanied by DJ Shadow, Nobody Speak featuring Run the Jewels. Welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. And we have on the phone right now, Brother Tony Crane. And uh, Brother Tony, I'd like to hear from you first on this one. What did you think of the track and his argument, or his counter-argument? The track was awesome, of Mm -hmm. course. Run the Jewels, man. I got to get that new Killer Mike album, Michael. Um, But... That that brother was just laying it down, man. <laughs> he was laying it down, brother. 
Yeah. And I heard sure. some of those clips before. Like, um, it's just it's ridiculous. I mean, they just pull up the most nonsensical, made up, fallacious, uh, untruths. This it's unbelievable. It's hilarious. Most of them, like, uh, man, it's 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 offensive, but it's just. It's hilarious how stupid it is sometimes. Yeah, and they're they're in circles where they get unchallenged. Yeah, when that part they about get the slobs, that was a really good one. Like it, it's it's the point absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, and the way he dropped the countries that actually abolished slavery before the United States, before Great Britain, before France, right. like. She didn't mention none of that. For her, it was just, you know, we did it. White people did this. We we ended slavery. <laughs> and she said, you're not a white person. So what did you do with Candace? And there's no research to it at all. It's just some oh. made-up stuff. Yo, I just forgot that that was Candace Owens talking that whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, the people believe yeah. her. I got people in my family swear by this woman. I don't even know what to say to them anymore. They've been so indoctrinated. And it's, it's amazing, not only are they indoctrinated, but they're indoctrinated by another black person. <laughs> I mean, is that, I mean, it's like, is it conditioning? I mean, like, it's like conscious, conscientious stupidity and just, violent, just being voluntarily ignorant as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. How are you going to forget Haiti? Like, how was that possible that you forgot conveniently the Haitian Revolution and you extolling how America got rid of it and all of those countries were first, but you totally forgot Haiti? Right. Man. Right. Because it's not convenient to the lie. It doesn't add to the lie. It doesn't help the lie. It's better to just go ahead and skip Haiti. Otherwise, you'd have to change the whole perspective. Right, it's not conducive to right, like you said, it's it's it doesn't um uh, it's just not conducive to what they're trying to do at all. Right. Yusuf Yeah, you know, I'm just sitting back listening to y'all because it's it's so incredible when I hear certain things come out, especially Candace coming out of her mouth. And like, I can't believe that this is real. Like, I, I really want to believe that she's just doing, like, she sold her soul for money and fame, that she doesn't really believe this stuff. But I can't defend her because I hear all the stuff that's coming out of her. Like, you must really believe this stuff. And, and why are you and thinking I mean, this place? Right. I mean... She argues hard for it. Hard for it. She ain't the only one. To say, yeah, to say the West were the first country to abolish (laughs) slavery while slavery is still going on. Like, how can you say that? Exactly. Like, not only did you forget Haiti, you forgot the 13th Amendment. You apparently didn't read that. There's no way, like it's they, they. She knows. She just, I don't, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's so confusing because I know right now they are brothers in the Texas 
Department of Criminal Justice that are out in the field picking cotton right now, right now as we speak. They're out there right now in the field. Yes. Picking grapes and strawberries and all of these things for no money. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I got a poem about it. Want to hear it? Here you go. <laughs> Bring it on, brother. Bring it on. That's that's your second in living color reference to me today, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, all right. I, do, I actually do have something I want to read about this. It's called Freedom okay. or Slavery. It's called Freedom or Slavery. Freedom or Slavery. This is a, yes. this is a, a maxism? No, yeah, this is a, a max part of this poem. Okay. So it if 95% of all prosecutors are white and 90% of all sheriffs are white and 71% of all judges are white, but only 4% of the nation's population, black men, make up nearly 40% of inmates in prisons in a nation notoriously built on race-based legal slavery and terrorism, it's not evidence that more non-white people should become prosecutors, police, or judges to judges. It's proof that the entire justice system is morally and ethically indecent. A vehicle of race-slash-class-based genocide as described by international human rights agreements. The fact that a white mob burned, bombed, and massacred the people and buildings of Black Wall Street is not an indication that more non-whites need to join lynch mobs in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because for-profit private prisons are 100% white-owned and controlled doesn't mean we simply lack enough non-white corporate slave owners. Thurgood Marshall, Jr., son of civil rights icon and Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, being a board member for a private prison and slaver, Core Civic, is not a point of mutual pride. It's a damn shame. Symptoms of a sickness, taking us from Brown versus Board of Education to just some brown clown on the corporate board to endorse their mass incarceration. So no, Virginia, there is no Santa Claus. Your innocence is lost. You know what else is false? The idea that we need more non-white slave catchers, slave owners, overseers, or investors who all make a living off the exploiting the 13th Amendment Exception Clause. We need to end slavery, legalize slavery, as it has been practiced through each evolution of the state-sanctioned sessions of oppressions in play, from chattel slavery to convict leasing to human warehousing and back to convict leasing again today. How about putting that idea in our collective head? Rather than teaching our children to justify and join ancient evil acts, maybe we should teach them the facts so they can denounce and dismantle them instead. Some things cannot and should not be reformed, repaired, fixed, or replaced. They must be abolished, root and fruit, like these crimes against humanity we face. Yes, a massive vacuum will ensue when this embedded element of every aspect of the American life is finally through. It will certainly hurt. Millions will be out of work. Millions will be free from cages. Nearly a trillion dollars in illegal annual revenue will suddenly vanish if we stop it. 
along with all the industries dependent upon policing and punishment for profit. When enslavers lose wealth and influence, huge political structural power shifts will inevitably occur as the result of a system no longer able to stay stable and fluid. No more would prison industries write your laws through political puppeteer groups like Alec Dammit and prison companies like G4S and GEO would no longer be one of the largest employers on the face of the entire freaking planet. So I ask, so what? If the choice is freedom or slavery, it shouldn't be that hard to your side. Better a nation of free people whose futures for the first time lie unwritten and uncertain than a stable slave state with an appetite for genocide. Peace. Freedom or slavery, Max Parsons. Live in the house. I feel since I've been spoken word already today, I might as well share some with our audience here. Hey, you know what? You know what? I know it's still in you right now. You're still in performance mode, and I'm glad you you broke that one out. And, I mean, it's so many things in there. I mean, from the statistics. 95% 95% of all prosecutors being white, 90% of all sheriffs being white, 71% of all judges being white. What do you think the outcome is going to be when that happens? Right. <laughs> what do you think the outcome is going to be? But if you can't beat them, join them is not the answer. Exactly. <laughs> 100% of for-profit private prisons are white-owned, and they have contracts to be 85 to 100 percent capacity what do you think the outcome is going to be so you can save the hillary clinton unintended consequences argument you knew exactly what the outcome would be exactly then every time i think about thurgood marshall and you know the legacy that his father left behind and then i see thurgood marshall jr sitting up being an executive board member to uh, Core Civic, you know, doing the very thing that his father stood out against. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is amazing to think that you know Thurgood Marshall Jr. was a board member to one of the largest prison enslavers in the world. Like, how did that right. even happen? <laughs> you know. Right. And for those that don't remember, you mentioned in there, you know, Thurgood Marshall was the one who argued. He represented Brown in Brown versus Board of Education. He represented all of the EEOC cases back in the 50s. And then for his son to turn around and sort of like join the other side. To say, you know what, let me go to the other side and sit on this board, sitting around enslaving people because the prison, these private prisons are 100% white-owned, and then all of the statistics that we ran down about the courts, the prosecutors, and the judges. What do you think the outcome is going to be? It's not even hard to, just, to figure it out. 
Like, this isn't differential equations. This isn't Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. The outcome is clear of what's going to happen. The same way when you when you block off a neighborhood, you 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 give it twenty year old twenty year old education that's outdated, inadequate. You flood it with drugs. You flood it with alcohol. You flood it with guns. You pull all the men out of the community and put them in prisons. You create programs where the women can have, you know, nice apartments and everything, but they can't have a man living in the house. What do you think the outcome is going to be? And then you prey on them all day long, driving through, looking for people to snatch off the the street because you have to fill the prison. What do you think the outcome is going to be? So, yeah, it's not unintended consequences. They knew exactly what they were doing. So, uh, wait, is everybody still here? Did I drop? I was on mute. Yes, and uh, just giving just, just giving me space in case I wanted to keep going. <laughs> yeah, just. And then when you start your... talking about, you know, one one last point is you mentioned it here. Uh, when we think about them always telling us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, we gave you everything. What more do you want? We gave you everything. Why can't you be doing this? Why can't you be doing that? Why can't you be doing that? Why can't you have your, you know, if we go and get our own schools, now you start complaining about us having our own schools. When we create our own businesses and we control the the economy in our community, what do you do? You bomb them. You burn them. You massacre the people. Not just in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're talking about Rosewood. We're talking about right where the University of Virginia sits right now. That was a thriving black community called Fish Hill, right where Central Park in New York City sits. That was a thriving black community. A lot of these land so that's what happened. A lot of these man made formerly black yeah, communities. And we can talk about this in cities all across the nation. All across the nation it's been going on forever. And the minute we start talking about black autonomy and anything, then they're like why do you need to be doing this? <laughs> I remember some dude, some dude was at, like in Vermont and was talking about. Now remember, Vermont is like ninety-eight percent white, and he had the nerve to tell us that talking about having black communities was divisive. Black autonomy was divisive. Like, dude, you living in it right now? How the hell are you calling us wanting the same thing divisive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, and that's because, a big, yeah, someone, yeah, someone that's asked a big, me the other day, why, why do we need black-only universities? Like, and I asked the person, I said, well, do you know why they started? And so once the person didn't understand why they started, okay, I knew who I was dealing with. And most people out there are just uneducated on this topic. They think they know. You know, and they want to white explain, or I don't know what we call the ones where they're like, I guess the term is black conservatives. So we can't say white explaining. What will we say for them? What would be the well, phrase? You know, not all black conservatives are lost in the sauce. Like, 
as I right. said, and you that's know, why I want to talk about specific ones, yeah. the ones but that want to come on like, and say, like, would they need to defend the enslavers uh, and justify yeah. everything that they do, no matter how wrong it is, they can do no wrong. Yes. And they could fight yes. all kinds of different fights. I mean, you could be talking about, uh, you know, global warming. You could choose to talk about hunger across the world. But what do they choose to make their fight against black people's narratives that slavery was a bad thing? That, that, that's when you choose. That's the hill you want to die on. And you want to right. defend every racist white supremacist that comes along, no matter what they do. That tribalism right. is horrible, indoctrinated people's tribalism. Well, listen, man, we've got about eight minutes left in the hour. And time goes got, fast. We got, well, for us to do this before the final segment, we got one more track that we could play. And I think it's something that our people will enjoy. Uh, Want to do that and then come back and thank our sponsors? Yes. yes. All right. So let's, let's do that. Uh, we're going to play one more track. Uh, before our final segment, which is the Bridging the Gap segment. And this is George Carlin talking about slave owners who wanted to be free. Uh, it's going to be followed by I Just Want to Be Free by champion Jack Dupree. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, and we'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. Today. It's the old American double standard, you know, say one thing, do something different. And of course the country is founded on the double standard, that's our history. We were founded on a very basic double standard. This country was founded by slave owners who wanted to be free. Am I right? A group of slave owners who wanted to be free. So they killed a lot of white English people in order to continue owning their black African people so they could wipe out the rest of the red Indian people and move west and steal the rest of the land from the brown Mexican people, giving them a place to take off and drop their nuclear weapons on the yellow Japanese people. You know what the motto? You know what the motto of this country ought to be? You give us a color, we'll wipe it out. You know, I always beg to myself. Prayed and hoped someday that I would be free. It's the best feeling in the world when you're free. A bird wants to be free out of a cage. So you know I want to be free. I'm only a poor black man. Look like the whole world is down on me. Why do I have to be mistreated? You know, I know in some people's hearts, I know everybody don't want to treat you mean. I don't see why the people don't look up to one another and find out for themselves that the dirty ones is trying to keep the good people down. And the only way things will change, you got to make up your mind yourself. I'm going to live the life that God give me to love. I'm not going to be dirty. Why should I treat a man mean and he haven't done no harm, never hurt no one? All day and all night long, I'm begging to be free. 
know everybody in the world is not the same. Because I found out for myself. I found out the whole world is not on It's not down on you because they got people with hearts walking around every day. Some people look at you. They look at you and stare you because they begin to think when they look at you in mind. Some people look at you to say, he's a human being, why should he be mistreated so? And then some people look at you because they hate you. But it's not with everybody, it's only with some. You know, when I was in my home where I was born, I have been spit on. I have been had dirty water thrown in my face. I have been slapped down, pushed off the road. In the home where I was born, for nothing. And I always lived in fear and begged to the good Lord that maybe someday, maybe someday he would help me. If it's any, then I'll be free. But for my last version, I won't say to the world, I thank you. Deep down in the bottom of my heart, I thanks everyone. I hate no one. And I thanks everybody from the way I've been treated for the world round. So when you hear me begging and pleading with tears in my eyes, all I want from you is to be free. So thanks the world. And will you all pray for me? Abolition. You just heard George Carlin speaking on slave owners who wanted to be free, talking about American hypocrisy. And that was followed up by I Just Want to Be Free by uh, blues legend champion Jack Dupree. And Corinne, you'll you look him up you'll see that his father came from the congo so i know you'd be happy to hear that uh welcome back to abolition today abolitiontoday.org uh the track speaks for itself max do you have any final comments you wanted to make before we go into our closing segment yes real quick i want to thank all our callers who called in uh brother tony as well as uh other dude <laughs> Uh, I want to thank our listeners who always support us. I want to thank my host here in Augusta, Georgia, Jennifer, his messenger, Branch, and Brother Change, who made it possible for me to be here today. Um, again, this was a difficult show. It's one of those ones that frustrate you and get you angry, and you get that James Baldwin, Baldwin rage that comes out because of the mm-hmm. insanity of it all. It's so unbelievable that you would even attempt to say and do these things. But nonetheless, it's reality, and we have to deal with reality as it is and not as we would want it to be, which is why we're here today. So thank you, and thank you, uh, Yusuf. Uh, We will continue to pray for Joseph, your father, and for his uh, well-being. Thank you. Appreciate that. Hopefully the vibes are right through the radio program, through mom's hand with the phone into his ears. uh, That's right. Smile for us, Joseph. (laughs) With that being said, 
Peace. Uh, we'll see, I'll see you again next week here on Abolition Today. Yusuf? That's right. Yes. So thank you, Tony. I got to let you go. I uh, had your mic still open. Thanks, Corinne. Thanks. I don't even remember his name, but the brother that calls in all the time. Call back. Continue to call in. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the IMWE Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sema Urge, that's Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolish Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe, youtube.com slash abolition today. Uh, Facebook, it's going to be abolition today. And on Twitter, it's at abolition today, the number one. So make sure you check out those pages. Uh, also follow the ASNN, the Abolish Slavery National Network, at, it's at Abolition Nation on all social media platforms. Uh, tune in on Wednesdays for Tales from the Plantation Nation, hosted by Samuel Nathaniel Brown. We're looking to get that back. You know, Sam has been busy the past couple of weeks, but we're hoping that we'll be back He'll be back on air this coming Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific, right here on the Abolition Today platform. We have a great one tonight for our Bridging the Gap. All of them are great, but it's really good when we have someone that comes in and is going to perform something for us. So we have Noor Hente, a.k.a. Kevin Campbell. He's going to be performing a speech by Frederick Douglass. And that's going to be part of a Max mix called Devil, Devil, D1, and it's called Racist Christians. It's a really good one. I can already tell. I can already tell it's going to be good. So <laughs> we'll be back next week, next Sunday, July 30th, God willing, with another master class on slavery abolition. Uh, so until then, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. This is Kevin Campbell, a.k.a. Noir Hente, doing a recreation of Frederick Douglass, Life of an American Slave, Boston Anti-Slavery Office, 1845 Appendix. I find, since reading over the foregoing narrative, that I have in several instances, spoken in such a tone and manner respecting religion as may possibly lead those unacquainted with my religious views to suppose me an opponent of all religion. To remove the liability of such misapprehension, I deem it proper to append the following brief explanation. What I have said respecting and against religion, I mean strictly to apply to the slave-holding religion of this land and with no possible reference to Christianity proper, for between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference, so wide that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. To be the friend of the one is of necessity to be the enemy of the other. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, woman-whipping, cradle-plundering, 
partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds, and the grossest of all libels. Never was there a clearer case of stealing the livery of the court of heaven to serve the devil. I am filled with the unutterable loathing when I contemplate the religious pomp and show, together with the horrible inconsistencies which everywhere surround me. We have men stealers for ministers, women whippers for missionaries, and cradled plunderers for church members. The man who wields the blood-clotted cowskin during the week fills the pulpit on Sunday and claims to be a minister of the meek and lowly Jesus. The man who robs me of my earnings at the end of each week meets me as a class leader on Sunday morning to show me the way of life and the path of salvation. He who sells my sister for purposes of prostitution stands forth as the pious advocate of purity. He who proclaims it a religious duty to read the Bible denies me the right of learning to read the name of the God who made me. He who is the religious advocate of marriage robs whole millions of its sacred influence and leaves them to the ravages of wholesale pollution. The warm defender of the sacredness of the family relation is the same that scatters whole families, sundering husbands and wives, parents and children, sisters and brothers, leaving the hut vacant and the heart desolate. We see the thief preaching against theft and the adulterer against adultery. We have men sold to build churches, women sold to support the gospel, and babes sold to purchase Bibles for the poor heathen, all for the glory of God and the good of souls. The slave auctioneer's bell and the church-going bell chime in with each other. And the bitter cries of the heartbroken slave are drowned in the religious shouts of his pious master. Revivals of religion and revivals in the slave trade go hand in hand together. The slave prison and the church stand near each other. The clanking of fetters and the rattling of chains in the prison and the pious song and solemn prayer in the church may be heard at the same time. The dealers in the bodies and souls of men erect their stand in the presence of the pulpit and they mutually help each other. The dealer gives his blood-stained gold to support the pulpit and the pulpit in return covers his infernal business with the garb of Christianity. Here we have religion and robbery, the allies of each other. Devil, devil, devil dressed in angels' robes and hell presenting the semblance of paradise. That was Frederick Douglass from the Boston Anti-Slavery Office, 1845. My name's Kevin Campbell, a.k.a. your poet, Moante, and I hope I did it justice. Y'all have a great day. Tensions are slowly. Uh, the police have just wrestled a couple of people to the ground. Yeah. D1, D1, things are getting just a little tense here. Uh. 
racist Christians, I've been searching for you. I've been wondering where you live and what kind of church you go to. Do you pledge allegiance to Christ and not to the enemy? If so, then how you justify hatred and white supremacy? And if you from a family that taught you racism, you could change it. Dialogue and prep mixed with counseling just might rearrange it. Are you trying to grow or you secretly like to see division? Once you find out Jesus ain't white, do you still want to be a Christian? We come from a place where the pastors use scriptures out the Bible to make slaves obey their masters. And we trying to turn this chapter, but we can't ignore this data. White cop kill a black man, no jail time, seem like black lives don't matter. Christians, do you see what's happening? Sunday morning, you screaming Jesus, but we don't see that passion. When folks out there fighting for freedom, you never speak up, and that's why black folks been turning from Jesus, cause people feel it's scammed. And if you stay as love, now I'm wondering if you just an actor. Black man killed in public behind closed doors, knew you burst in laughter. If you hate racism, but don't do nothing, that's still a problem. Silence equals violence, bring race up, and we a church divided. We come from a place where the pastors use scriptures out the Bible to make slaves obey their masters. Now we trying to turn this chapter. We can't ignore this data. White man kill a black man. No jail time. Seems like black lives don't matter. Matter, matter, matter. Racist Christians, I've been searching for you. Searching for you. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton.